Uh, it would be good to start a series and go through the book of 1 John, but we're not doing that tonight We're because uh, we're in January and this is the summer edition of church. We're uh, just picking kind of purple passages and this is a good one to kind of think about and uh, to contemplate, especially how it challenges us and what it looks like to hope for and live what true life is. Um, so I do want to encourage you to read the rest of 1 John this week. Maybe take this as a bit of an introduction to the book of 1 John. It's not very long, but it will uh, reward you richly if you spend a bit of time reading it this week. If you're the sort of person that likes to have an outline or points, uh, this is a proper Anglican sermon with three points. The first one is the malaise of life. Write that one there for the first one. Second one is the word of life. And the third point is the life of the word. See what I did there? Good old switcheroo. We're a lively bunch tonight. All right. Let's pray and then we're going to have a look at this uh, part of God's word. Our Father, we thank you so much that you are a God who speaks that you are a God who not only speaks, but a God who has revealed himself by living amongst us. And so, Father, we pray that as we just encounter the very beginning of this letter that John wrote all those years ago, that we might see how the word of life truly has appeared, that we might have life eternal in him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, now, I've got a mate of mine who lives in Melbourne and, uh, well, I don't know, living might be a bit of an overstatement. Does anyone really live in Melbourne? Uh, you know, he exists in Melbourne. I don't have anything against Melbourne. I don't think Melbourne is a bad place to exist. Some of you might have lived there for a time. I don't know. Welcome. Can I say welcome to our Melbourne friends? Um, in fact, I, I've been to Melbourne. I've been to Melbourne many times. And really, Melbourne is quite nice. I mean, it's got lots of good things going for it. It's, uh, it's got AFL, and I, I really love AFL. That, that happens down there. Uh, Melbourne, it's got great coffee. It's got laneways and bars and restaurants. And I think at this time of year, they've got the tennis, the Australian Open. They've got that going for it, right? There's lots of great things about existing in Melbourne. Uh, now, my friend actually moved from Sydney. This is a bit harder to work out, but he moved from Sydney to Melbourne. And that's, you know, he exists there now for about five years. I think he's been, been there. He, he doesn't regret moving to Melbourne. He, he really does quite like it. But when I uh, caught up with him recently, he said to me that he wouldn't recommend that anyone moves from Sydney to Melbourne, at least not for the coffee or the food or the bars, and certainly not for the weather. Uh, not because, you know, the coffee isn't great. It really is world-class. I enjoy it down there, or the laneways and bars and all that kind of stuff. But he said, because it's only coffee, and they're only bars, and it's only kind of laneways and restaurants, and it's kind of fun for a while searching for the best coffee places in Melbourne to see who's got the best drop, because it's kind of fun for a little while drawing out all the new laneways and hidden bars and things that they've got. But in the end, he said, there's got to be more to life than this. There's got to be more to life than just going from one good coffee place to another, just going by the hearsay of where the next great thing is. Now, that's really insightful, isn't it? That's a great question to ask yourself. There's got to be more to life than this. And I think the question that this passage here in 1 John asks us tonight is like this question. The question is, is this living? Are you 
living? Are you doing life or are you just existing? That's the big question, right, that I think this passage asks us tonight. Because even when you've got the job that you so desperately wanted and even when you live in the place that you want, even when you're surrounded by the things and the people that you like and you love, there is often this uneasy, unsettling thought that kind of sits at the back of our minds or maybe even in the pit of your stomach, right? That little kind of anxiety, that question that keeps asking itself, am I living? Is this what life is all about? And how would I even know that I'm living the life or just existing? How could I tell the difference? Now, that's not just a question, I think, for middle-aged people or for the more philosophical and reflective amongst us. Uh, Even with all our comforts and, and the peace and prosperity that we enjoy in this country, we often exist with this uneasiness, this malaise of life with this question that begs itself, have you made the most of what you've been given? Are you in fact living? And I wonder how you deal with that question. How do you deal with that uneasiness that sits in our comfortable way of life? Maybe you're the sort of person who is constantly always looking for the next best thing. We're two two weeks into 2020, you've already forgotten 2019, let's forget about those troubles, what's 2020 going to give us this year? What great thing can I pursue and look for? Or maybe you're the sort of person that that deals with this question by always envying the lives of others on Instagram or Facebook, whatever it's going to be. Maybe you're the person who's always trying to present a picture so you can be envied by those around you. You want them to know that you've got the life, or at least online. Or maybe you're the sort of person who deals with this question by always trying to just drown it out, right? You might drown it out with loud music. You might drown it out by any number of means because you just can't face the reality of the answer that that question might demand of you. You're afraid of what the answer might be. If that is you, then I I kind of want to give you a warning. Stay away from music and bands like Radiohead and any kind of genuine country and Western music. That'll just kind of send you into a spiral. They've kind of captured the genre, I think. But there's your big question. Are you living or are you just existing? And I mean, what does life even look like? And how would I know life if I saw it face to face? Well, the good news here in 1 John chapter 1, verse 2, is that the life has appeared, right? The life has been seen, it has been witnessed, it has been gazed upon and it has been heard and proclaimed and this is the word of life from the Father of life himself. And so let's look at the word of life and we're in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. Here's the good news. John writes, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard with our ears, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us, 
We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Now again, I need to ask you straight up, would you recognise life if you saw it? Because I see lots of very carefully curated lives on TV, on social media, in movies and in magazines. Uh, I see people on holidays where, quite frankly, I would rather be. And I see people living in houses, you know, where I would rather live. And I see people taking selfies with food that I would rather eat. And I see it and I think, ah, that looks like life. That's what life looks like. And if I could just even have half of what they had, then I think I would be living the life. But I also know, and I suspect you know this as well, that none of that is ever as good as what it looks like. You know, I know the guy with the the perfectly sculpted eight-pack of abs and, and wonderful muscles can't make room for anyone else in his life. Why? I guess maybe because his muscles are too big. He's too focused on sculpting his abs. Now, I know that the girl in the designer dress is probably hungry most of the time. And I know the family with the ideal kids, well, that's probably just a charade. There's all kinds of tantrums and yelling happening in the car and behind closed doors. And I also know that the things that I long for now, the things that I think are life today usually will keep shifting and changing. And if you want to know how true that is, then back in the 90s when I was a teenager, this is what life looked like. Life looked like wearing overly baggy pants by a brand called Kepa from Jean's uh, General Pants. It looked like wearing a skivvy or a turtleneck kind of long sleeve top. It looked like having a zero undercut and a ponytail. Life looked like that with a pair of wraparound sunglasses, maybe even a Coudelines polar fleece jumper, right? That's what life looked like. And don't mock me for thinking that was cool at the time, because if you grew up in the 80s or the 70s, bell bottoms, permed fringes, and who knows what we're going to be mocking in 10 years' time about what you're wearing today. You know, we think we know this is what life looks like. But in 10 years' time, will you look back and go, ugh, No, those things change to and fro. They are transient and they keep shifting. But you see here in 1 John, when the life appeared, the word of life, those who heard it and saw it and gazed upon it and touched it knew that this was the life, not a passing fad. They knew it was the life. Why? Because it was from the beginning. This was life that went way back to the origin of all life, to the father of life. This is the word that brought forth life, verse 1. This is eternal life, verse 2. It doesn't shift or change. This is life that comes from the father of life. This is life that creates fellowship. It creates a new family together with the father and the son, Jesus Christ. And, you know, every other vision that we have of life really is just elusive. 
or an illusion. And every other ideology or religion outside of Christianity is really just mere speculation. Now, whether it's the philosophy of Buddha, whether it's the manifesto of Marx, whether it's the oracles of Muhammad, all those things are unverifiable. Have you ever thought about that? They could be really wonderful ideas or they could be very destructive. You don't know. They're the ideas of human beings. But Christianity is different. Christianity says that the life appeared. It presented itself. He presented himself in history as a person at a time and a place. Christianity says that the life appeared in our history as a person that you can verify, that people saw and touched and heard and gazed upon and witnessed and who have proclaimed this word of life to you. And I wonder if you know that about the Christian faith. You know, it's not speculation. The Christian faith isn't some philosophy. It's a person. It's about Christ. It's not fairy tales. It's about flesh and blood. It is historical. Now, if you've never thought about that before, then go and verify it. Go and test the Lord Jesus. Test the eyewitness accounts. And and if you do believe it, then take great confidence in how robust the Christian faith is, how risky it is to make that claim. And you see, here is John. This is the Apostle John who wrote this. And John was there. He is a witness. He's one of the people who heard and gazed upon and and saw and touched the Lord Jesus and he joyfully proclaims this message to us, this message of the life because when the life appears, it's a big deal. It's a big deal that we might finally witness what life looks like. We don't have to make it up for ourselves or envy what someone else has come up with. Here is the life. And here is what life looks like in verse 5. This is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. You see, life has a very definite shape to it. John uses this metaphor of life and darkness, of light and darkness, and he says the shape of life is light and not darkness. And so we're going to have a look at what this light is in the life of the word. Here's our last point, and we're going to go from verses 6 in chapter 1 to verse 6 in chapter 2. Um, the, the, here's the thing about the metaphor of light and darkness. Who thinks light and darkness is good? And evil? No one's going to put up their hand. It's hard to know, right? Especially if you're a Star Wars fan, you know, you're talking about the dark side and the light side and you embrace the darkness with you and all that kind of stuff. Or it could be not just good and evil, it could actually be about hiddenness and exposure. So anyone going for hiddenness and exposure? It's too risky putting up your hands. Yeah, maybe, could be. I don't know, that's right. Life and death for light and darkness. Right? It's kind of hard to know, but because we've been so trained by our pop culture, most of us are going to go with good and evil, and light and darkness is usually a yin and yang struggle, either within us or in our cosmos. Uh, and I'm not sure that's how John is using it here. Uh, I'll leave you to kind of read through the rest of the book to find out how he is using it. But what is really clear at this point in John's letter is that light and darkness don't mix. They're exclusive of one another. 
Um, back in uh, year 11, I did a one-unit course on photography just to make up some numbers to get through the HSC or whatever I was doing. Um, and or maybe you don't realise this, especially if you weren't alive during the 90s. We used to have cameras and we would have phones. They were bolted to walls. We had cameras and phones. And in fact, to have a phone and a camera together made no sense. I think if someone said that to you back in the 90s, you'd say that makes about as much sense as a phone and a toaster, right? Like, it doesn't really kind of work out. You can't conceive of that. But cameras, which you took photos with, also had film. They weren't digital. And film has to be developed with all kinds of fancy chemicals and it has to be done in a dark room. Has anyone here ever done that? They try to do their own? A few people, excellent. You know how difficult this is. And I was in year 11, what, 15, 16, something like that. And uh, we had, we'd been going around taking photos around the school. They were all very artistic, very wonderful and, uh, you know, creative kind of pieces, I'm sure. And then we had to go develop them ourselves in the school darkroom. And so I went with a mate of mine and we had this film. And the trick is, is in pitch darkness, you have to kind of play with all these different bits and pieces and pour in chemicals and you can't see or do anything because any light exposes the film. And so we made two great mistakes as we came to develop our own film. The first mistake was, and please forgive me for how stupid this sounds, but we thought, you know what, we don't want any light to touch this film. We'll turn the lights off outside the dark room before we walk into the dark room because we don't want any light to get trapped in there. That's not how light and darkness works. If it's dark in there, there's no light in there. That's, that's how that works, right? The second big mistake we made after we managed to fumble our way into the dark room was after about five minutes, it quite possibly could have been 20 seconds with our patients, 15-year-old patients, we, we couldn't quite work out how to get the container open, how to get the chemicals in. We'd get a little bit frustrated and we thought to ourselves, we said out loud, what if we just turn the light on for like a split second? Like, just really quickly, just so we can see where we are, get the container sorted out, and then, you know, flick it off, and then we can develop our film, which is what we did. And then, of course, when you go to develop your film and kind of put it in the, the chemicals afterwards to see what comes out, what do we see? A lot of blackness, right? Which was artistic way of expressing the shallowness and the emptiness of life. It was very, it was very creative. We spun it into something wonderful in our visual art process diaries. Um, but they were the two great mistakes we made, and that's because light and darkness can't exist in the same place, right? It's either a dark room or a light room. It, it's not both. You can't have the lights on and it still be dark. And here, God is consistent. He is light. He is not darkness. He takes no part in darkness. He is only light. And those who follow him only also take part in the light. They don't meddle with light, but also dabble with darkness. And again, I want to be clear, this isn't about your internal struggle. It's not about light and darkness existing within you. This is about God being consistent. It's about God being light and not darkness, and his people belonging to the light, and not darkness. It's more about who you belong to. So whatever the life looks like, it looks consistent. Uh, Whatever the life looks like, it looks consistent with light, and it takes no part in darkness. And so here are five things, I'm going to walk you through the passage, five things in this passage that show us what life looks like as we belong to the Father of light. Uh, These are all things which are reoccurring themes in the book of John. In fact, if you kind of understand this part of 1 John, you'll understand the entire book because they just keep being raised over and over again. I'm going to present these five things to you in two ways. 
I'm going to give you an exhortation about what the shape of life looks like, according to 1 John, but I'm also going to give you a warning. And that's because the letter of 1 John is a book that warns against the false view of Christianity. So flick over your page to chapter 2 and verse 26. You'll see John says there, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. Right? There is a very definite occasion for this letter. There are people trying to lead Christian believers astray and so John is warning them and also trying to set them on the right path so they can tell the difference between light and darkness. And so here are the five things about what the uh, life looks like, the shape of life looks like, with also five warnings. And so here's the first thing, pencils ready. The shape of life is consistent. That is the very first thing. So chapter 1, verse 6. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. The shape of life is consistent and it doesn't say one thing, but then go and pursue another. That's your exhortation. But here's the warning. You want to be very wary about any person who calls themselves a Christian, who claims to walk in the light and yet makes excuses so they can continue walking in darkness. Be very wary of those who say one thing but then make excuses so they can pursue darkness. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. The shape of life creates fellowship. Chapter 1 and verse 7. Uh, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. The shape of life, what real life looks like, it creates fellowship. It creates fellowship with other believers who are also in the light, but it creates fellowship with the first witnesses who testify and who also have fellowship with God. Here's the warning. You want to be very wary of any person who calls themselves a Christian but denies the authority of the gospel witnesses themselves, who denies the authority of those who first testify to the death and resurrection of Jesus that purifies us from our sin. Be wary. That's the second. Here's the third. The shape of life confesses sinfulness. So chapter 1 verse 8 to 2 verse 2. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim uh, we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is the shape of life. The shape of life doesn't ignore sin. It doesn't wallpaper over sin and pretend that it's got everything together. 
No, the shape of life confesses sin and it does it with full assurance of forgiveness in the Lord Jesus. Because the Lord Jesus is our resurrected King. He is our advocate now because he was our sacrifice for once and for all sin back then. Confess your sin. But here's the warning. You want to be wary of any person who calls themselves a Christian and yet claims to be better than everyone else, who claims that they have it all together. Be wary of that person. Or be wary of that person who can't see their own sin and can't see how their own sin destroys life or or perhaps denies even the saving work of Jesus. Be wary of those who even redefine sin So they call evil what is good and they call what is good evil. Don't let people minimise it. Confess your sin. If you belong to the life, if you have the shape of life, we confess sin. That's the third thing. Here's the fourth. The shape of life keeps the commands of Jesus. Chapter 2, verses 3 and 5. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know that we are in him. The exhortation, the shape of life, obeys the commands of Jesus. The warning, you want to be very wary of any person who calls themselves a Christian but won't obey the command of Jesus to love one another. Particularly in the book of 1 John, that's the big command. We love one another because he first loved us. You want to be wary of anyone who thinks following Jesus is about going to church and how the church can serve and help them to fulfil their own dreams and desires, as if the gospel is just a battery to power their own kind of direction in life. Be very wary. And lastly, the fifth thing, the shape of life follows the way of Jesus himself. So chapter 2 and verse 6. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. It's a simple exhortation, just walk in the same footsteps as Jesus. Well, maybe easier said than done. But you know how Jesus lived. You know how he entrusted himself to the Father. You know how he was willing to sacrifice all for the sake of the Father's will. And so here is the warning. You want to be wary of any person who calls themselves a Christian but won't sacrifice. Who won't sacrifice their desires, their plans, their money or their ambition for what the Father wants. What did Jesus pray on his way to the cross? Lord, not what I will, but what you will. And when Jesus prayed that prayer... And when he taught his disciples to pray, our Father in heaven, your will be done, where did it lead him? Well, it led him to the cross and it led him to death. 
and it might lead you to the same place. And that doesn't sound so fantastic. But what did Jesus gain by submitting himself to the Father's will? A resurrection from the dead to life eternal. He received glory from the Father himself, never to die again. A human being like you and me with flesh and blood. You can sacrifice all to the Father and entrust yourself to him like the Lord Jesus did. And so be wary of any person who won't sacrifice. Be wary of anyone who will try to shoehorn Jesus and the gospel to fit their own vision of what life is. Now, of course, through all those warnings, maybe you heard me say, be wary of that Christian. Maybe you heard me say, be wary of that Christian over there who claims that. But of course, you know I'm also asking you to be wary of those tendencies in yourself. Be wary of your own tendency to shoehorn Jesus into your own vision of life. Be wary of your own tendency to shirk his commands. Be wary of your own tendency to wallpaper over your sins. Be be wary of yourself to ignore fellowship with other believers in the light. Be wary of yourself as you claim to follow Jesus and yet make excuse after excuse so you can pursue darkness. Be wary because Jesus is the shape of what real life looks like and we follow in his footsteps. And if you want to know what living is, if you want to know what real and true life looks like, if you want to have life to the full, then this is where life is found, by trusting in the Lord Jesus, by reading the Gospels, by coming to know his life and deeds and teaching his death, his resurrection. And so the question we started off with, are you living? Do you have life or are you just existing? Because the word of life has appeared and he appeared so that we might have life eternal in his name. Put your trust in him. Let me pray. Our Father, we do thank you for the way your word challenges us, challenges us to our core in our own tendencies to pursue darkness, even while claiming to live in the light. Father, we pray that we would be wary of ourselves and others who might lead us astray. Father, please help us to know what life looks like because we know the Lord Jesus. Please help us to be confident of the assurance of forgiveness we have when we sin and confess our sin. Father, please help us and make us like the Lord Jesus as we follow in his footsteps, sacrificing our very life that we might have life in his name. Father, please help us to know life eternal because your son Jesus, the word of life, has appeared to give us life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.